Keep yourself and others safe from COVID-19 by getting a COVID test as soon as you notice any symptoms. Keeping hands clean, wearing a face covering and keeping your distance. There's better days to come. We can do this. For us all. From the HSE. In 1991, the people of the world suffered through an everyday fear that at any moment a flash of light would explode into the sky and darkness would fall across life as they knew it. This impending doom was caused by the Cold War between America and the Soviet Union. Both feared that at any moment the ego of the other would lead to the push of a button and an atomic bomb would travel across the world's skies. This fear was very much based in reality and fact. Just 46 years before the end of the Cold War, the world witnessed the utter destruction and lack of bias an atomic bomb was capable of. In Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945, an atomic bomb known as the Little Boy Bomb was dropped by the American military during World War II and killed almost a quarter of a million people and flattened two well-built and modern cities. The signs of the destruction of the bomb can still be seen in the cities today. The Little Boy Bomb came about as a result of the research conducted in what was known as the Manhattan Project. But what if I told you the bomb's life nor its power began in Manhattan? What if I told you that in fact the bomb's conception began in Dungarvan, County Waterford? In Abbeyside, Dungarvan, County Waterford, in 1903, a child was born. His name was Ernest Walton. Ernest's parents were very devoted to their children and they were the absolute light of their lives. His father John was a Methodist minister and a great believer in the power of education and the ability it gives an individual to be self-actualized. His mother was the keeper of the home, ensuring that the children didn't want for anything and were raised to be respectful, diligent and honest. Ernest found his young life, while comfortable, relatively difficult. He didn't quite fit in. Ireland was becoming more and more Republican and the murmurs of the Republican movement could be felt in the earth's soil as he grew. Being the son of a Methodist, he felt a constant fear of what the movement might think of his family and their place in Ireland. In hindsight, however, they were indeed relatively safe. The other reasons for the lack of a community to settle into for Ernest was, as his father was a reverend, they were forced to move every three years to a new area in Ireland where he was to preach. After Dungarvan, the family moved to Rathkeel in County Limerick. It was here that the family life would change forever for Ernest, as his mother became ill and without an apologetic stumble from her illness, she was taken from the family and Ernest would continue life as a motherless boy. This drastically affected Ernest's schooling. His inner turmoil and loss caused him to have a lack of interest in the lessons teachers would try to teach him. The lack of rooted friendships also didn't help. After Limerick, John's work and devotion took the family further north to Monaghan. Again, Ernest showed a lack of interest in school and a lack of want to create friendships. 
This broke his father's already straining heart, as he knew if Ernest could focus on his schooling, then later he could settle and create a home for himself amongst friends. The family then moved on to Down and Tyrone for a time before heading back south to Dublin. In Dublin, Ernest attended Wesley College, a school run by the Methodist Church. Here, Ernest met boys with a similar upbringing to his own. Boys who moved regularly and who found it difficult to settle. It was here that a number of teachers began to take an interest in Ernest and his development. After some time in the school, Ernest's father received one of the most feared things a parent can receive. He got a note from the school's principal to come to the school to meet him about Ernest. Oh God, he thought, what if Ernest has gotten himself into trouble? What if they kick him out? He has only just settled somewhere for God's sake. When John met the principal, he entered the room and instantly began to plead with the principal. Please don't kick out my Ernest, he said. He's had it tough these past few years. The young fella just needs a break. Confused and bemused, the principal simply replied, Reverend Walton, I think you may have overworried yourself about our meeting, or perhaps I may have miscommunicated to you. You see, I don't wish to scold your boy. Quite the opposite. Ernest is one of the finest young men we've had in this school. He went on to explain that Ernest had a gift which had been misunderstood. It wasn't that he lacked an interest in school, his issue was that it was too easy for him. Ernest had a unique ability to understand and interpret very complex mathematical and scientific equations without instruction. He was far ahead of his peers through his own abilities. It was decided that for Ernest to perfect his skills, he should become a boarding student at the Methodist College in Belfast. Here he continued to excel and overachieve. Expectations could not be set for him, as no level of expectation proved a challenge. In 1922, as a result of his remarkable academic records, Ernest was invited to study in Trinity College, Dublin where his fees were waived to ensure his attendance. All the high-achieving universities in the British Isles were desperate to have his marvel in their ranks. Whilst in Trinity, he continued to focus on maths and science. In 1924, he was elected to be recognised as a scholar of Trinity before he had even graduated. His intellect and problem-solving abilities were obvious for all to see. In 1926, he completed his undergraduate degree, finishing top of his class by a significant distance. In his final exams, in some subjects, he received marks which have yet to be matched by any student today. The university, key not to lose him, offered him a two years master degree after his graduation. He accepted and finished his paper in just eight months. In his time in the college, he received over 10 awards in academics. Anecdotally, the story goes that when he left home to attend the boarding school, his father gave him a suit to ensure that he would always look sharp at formal occasions, and by the time he reached his master's degree to graduation, he had worn through the elbows given how many times he had put it on for awards. <laughs> 
was after his masters that Dublin could no longer hold him, as he was sought out by the highly respectable researcher Sir Ernest Rutherford. Sir Rutherford wished to take Ernest on as a student where he would supervise the young man's PhD in Cambridge University. His father, so proud, took Ernest straight away into town and had him fitted for a brand new suit, then set him on his way to England to fulfil his potential. At the time, Ernest researched alongside four Nobel Prize winners as part of a team he led. One of whom was a man called John Crockroft. Ernest completed his PhD in 1931 and was kept on by the college as a researcher until 1934. It was during this phase that Ernest and his friend John became obsessed with atoms. While it was common knowledge that the atom was the smallest thing known to man, Ernest became convinced that the atom itself had to be made up of something smaller. The two proceeded to find out. They worked tirelessly late into the evenings, trying to understand matter and how the movements of atoms create solids, liquids and gases. Most of what we learn today about the structure of all things comes from Ernest's work. Towards the end of their contract with Cambridge, the two began to become wary of the failure of their experiments. Whilst the rest of the scientific world praised the knowledge they were creating about atoms, the two men hadn't achieved what they wanted. They still didn't know what was inside each individual atom. Then, late one night, while John was walking to Ernest's desk with a coffee, he was awoken by something stronger than any sip of caffeine. As he walked over, he saw Ernest slumped over on his desk with a hunch in his back as he ferociously scribbled on some paper. As John came next to his shoulder, Ernest's arms jumped from his body and the coffee exploded over John's coat. Burnt by the water, he shouted, Jesus Ernest, what did you do that for? I'm bloody scalded. Look, look John, look. Ernest leaped about shouting. As John looked at Ernest's scribbles, he threw off his stained lab coat and jumped towards his friend from Waterford. The two hugged with joy and bounded around the lab. What Ernest had discovered was not only the theory of how to split the atom, but he had also sketched the machine that would do it. The two spent the next few days without sleep, building a technology that did not exist anywhere in the world which would allow them to finally split the atom. When the day finally came to turn it on and test it, the newspapers across the globe ran new stories on how an Irish madman was going to end the world for everyone. The common fear was that if the device worked, it would create a sort of black hole on Earth, and everyone and everything would get sucked into it. You see, prior to this, what Ernest had learned about the atom was that if you were to split one, then the two halves would forever keep splitting other atoms until all were whole again. The fear was that this would keep happening and continue to happen until every atom in the world was split, causing the world to collapse in on itself. That morning, in a lab with just Ernest and John in it, they turned on the device and began the experiment. 
Not only did it work, it worked better than they could have ever hoped. They were able to control the power of the split and the distance it would cover. It is still recognised today as one of the greatest scientific breakthroughs of all time. After the success of the experiment, Ernest received word that his father was now quite ill and he returned to Dublin. He was instantly hired by Trinity College and people came from across the world to witness his lectures. He was noted as having the unique ability to take information which was highly complex and articulate it in a way which everyone could understand. On one of his father's last days on earth, he proudly attended Ernest's wedding to a woman called Winifred Wilson, also a minister's child. Ernest wore the suit his father brought him to go to England in for the ceremony. Ernest was not just a man of science, he also believed in the presence of God in science. He developed a series of papers to show that God could be proved through science. In 1951, Ernest and John received the Nobel Prize for their work on atoms. In his latter years, he returned to Wesley College and the Methodist Boarding School in Dublin to serve on the board and to give back to the schools which were the launch pads of his success. He retired from Trinity in 1974, but was known to be a friendly face always in the staff tea rooms, as he was regularly invited back to meet his old colleagues, to share with them ideas and to share a laugh. His father's hopes of Ernest having somewhere to belong had come true. Ernest received the Hughes Medal of the Royal Society of London and honours degrees from Irish, British and Northern American universities. In his home of Dungarvan in 1989, Ernest attended an event unveiling the Walton Causeway Park in his honour. As well as these honours, the Methodist Church also rose a plaque in his honour as they had an immense pride in their part of his journey. Waterford Institute of Technology named one of their main campus buildings after him and the Walton Award for Physics was introduced by Wesley College for those who achieve outstanding results in physics. These honours however came after his death in 1995. Whilst all his family, friends and colleagues were always proud of what he achieved, the darkest day of both his and John's life came when his research was used to kill the innocent in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The music for this episode was written, performed and produced by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. The story was written and researched by Oren. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help to support the podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash We The Irish We The Irish is an Ireland Loves production Ryan Isanam Dunn Gurav Mahagut Slananish
Keep yourself and others safe from COVID-19 by getting a COVID test as soon as you notice any symptoms, keeping hands clean, wearing a face covering, and keeping your distance. There's better days to come. We can do this. For us all. From the HSE.